Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the Yahoo Sports College Podcast. Oh, but Kelly this time drifts into the end zone, lost the football. Crumble. Crumble. Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. All right, welcome to the pod. We got a packed edition here. We got the national semifinals to discuss. We've got special guests. We don't do a lot of guests here. We do this time. Boston College coach Jeff Halfley, who played Notre Dame, used to coach at Ohio State. Was at the Ohio State Clemson game last year. Like, got a ton of great perspective. Uh, Pete talked to him, so we're gonna have an interview there. Really, really good uh, breakdown of of the the semifinals. We have got some coaching carousel stuff. We got some uh, overreacting to some of these bowl games that have occurred. But first, I want to quickly touch on uh, really the college sports story of the of the day, the month, the year, multiple years now. Uh, our long national nightmare is over. The scandal that that derailed one of the nation's most storied and beloved programs has, has really played itself out. Aunt Becky is free. <laughs> it's free tied. at last. Free at last. Free at last. <laughs> Lori Laughlin was released uh, just hours ago here when we're taping this from the, the Federal Correctional Institution in Dublin, California. It's a nice place to spend. I mean, if you got to go, it's nice up in the Bay Area, just over the ridge. Beautiful this time of year. Sure. Three squares a day. Come yeah. What's the problem? <laughs> Three hots Trojan and a cop. Mind the courthouse step doing the uh, V for victory <laughs> as she uh, as she strolled out of her. Uh, as she fight on. <laughs> yes. Fight, fight on, on, Lori. Lori. Fight yeah. on. Um, I don't Scam think they, get on. The, they don't get the Pac-12 <laughs> network on the prison TVs, but probably don't. Um, that may be the only place that gets it, actually. Yeah, maybe they do. Yeah, they, they force them to watch it. That's the punishment. It's time for healing at the USC women's rowing program. Lori Laughlin spent a half a million dollars so her daughter Olivia Jade would attend USC and not Arizona State. <laughs> and it also derailed what could have been one of the great athletic careers in the storied Conference of Champions. <laughs> People say Olivia Jade was not a, a rower, but how do we know? How do we Did, know? You know, the one picture of her on the rowing machine, I think she <laughs> could go. Good form, right? Yeah. It's not about the shoulders, it's the legs. You got to drive. <laughs> sure, this 97-pound Instagram influencer was going to become 
one of the great crew athletes of all time, a sport of just, just impossible difficulty, strength, and determination. I mean, what a miserable sport, really. Freezing your ass off every day out of some river, just going back and forth. She was built for this, right? Oh, yeah, no doubt. She was going to embrace that grind, no doubt. Still one of the great rivalry buildups is USC, Arizona. Someone paid half a million so you wouldn't go to one school. I mean, how much do you hate Arizona State? I spent a half a million in two months in the clink just so my daughter wouldn't go there. That's Good. the thing. What did she get for a half million? She got jail time. I mean, she didn't even get, you know, the the, the prestige that was all, this was all about at dinner parties to say, yeah, my daughter's at USC. As opposed to having to say, oh, my daughter's at Arizona State, you know, yep, uh, that's yep. the, that's what she missed out on. Poor Lori Laughlin. One of the I hope the bunk mates were like, you know, bear down fans. <laughs> we're like, I get it. What are you in for? <laughs> Could not have my daughter go to Arizona State. I get it. <laughs> so there was like a it was like a um, there was a Denzel Washington movie where like his his kid had needed a life saving surgery. And he kidnapped the doctor to make the surgery. Like, you know, like, what are these? Like, okay, acceptable crime. They could have gotten this thing moved to Tucson. She would have gotten off (laughs) during this trial. But anyway, congrats to Lori and USC women. Uh, The husband's still in. He's in Lompoc. They could have put him in the same. They should have just let them bunk together. What the hell? (laughs) I wonder, you know, like, who, who are the other people in this Dublin correctional facility? You know, what? Well, she, a bunch of white she in with the rabbler is yeah yeah is it, no. is it white collar if you want to punish a husband you put you want to punish that massimo guy put him in a jail cell with his wife for two months because <laughs> <laughs> even if it wasn't his idea to not to pay it would have become his idea that the guy would have been like give me death row man <laughs> Oh, well, that's the thing. Whoever, whoever was the real brainstormer here, you don't want to be that person in with the in with your spouse. Put them together. Two months. Bet. Confinement. I got a. That's a movie. I need to write that. Oh, Will Ferrell movie, go. right? <laughs> we can get that done. All right, let's uh, let's get to some of this stuff. Let's overreact, then we'll get to some of the coaches, then we'll get to the uh, the 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 semifinals. Uh, really, there we've had some cancellations. We've had some games. We've had some good ones, some bad ones, but we have. Really, the best game, the Cure Bowl. The Cure Bowl is for a good cause. Every year they're curing something. We don't know what. Liberty 37, Coastal 34. And really, the play of the game was at the end when Liberty was trying to run out clock first and goal from, I don't know, what were they at? The two? I think they started at the four, I think. Okay. Yeah. And Coastal's trying to get them to score. We've seen this now. As coaches have finally got into, I remember when Belichick first did this, it was like the scandal of all scandals. Like, you can't ever let someone, you know, all right, this is what you got to do. I'm sure someone did it before Belichick too. But now, so they're tugging and, and but instead of just taking a knee because these teams no longer know how to do like a, a victory formation, they got to snap it. They're running the ball. Hugh Freeze is running the ball, but he's not running the ball. And then there's a fumble at the one. It's a tie game, and instead of being able to kick the easy field goal or score the gift touchdown, there's essentially a goal line stand for Coastal. Arguably the dumbest coaching move of, of, of the season from an otherwise very smart coach. Pat, what were your thoughts as this, this tragedy was playing out here? <laughs> it, was, it was astonishing. I'm watching the game 
Really good game between two very good teams. I'm sorry they had to play each other instead of getting to go beat a Power 5 team, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, Liberty basically was the better team the whole game, and Coastal was just trying to hang in there and come back and, and you know steal this thing. And lo and behold, Liberty gave him the chance. I mean, it was just unbelievable that you would not just take a knee, you know, at the, and the poor running back, uh, you know, he, he carries it one time and he gets down and he, he drops to one knee. And then second down was when he kind of keeps going, tiptoeing towards the end zone. And the coastal guys are like grabbing him to try to pull him in the end zone. And he's like, no, 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 I don't want to go. It's like you're trying to throw somebody in a pool, you know, and he's just like <laughs> holding off, you know. And then his lineman, I think he's, I think it was a tight end, jumps on his back, I think, to try to bring him down short and ends up knocking the ball loose from him. And there's the ball laying there. And you're like, what are we doing? What has become of this end game situation where a team is trying its best not to score the winning touchdown? And the other team is like, no, please score the winning or at least the go ahead touchdown. So we'll have a chance. Uh, it was football turned completely backwards. And it was hilarious just watching it all trans, uh, transpire. And Hugh Freeze, who's, who's had a heck of a year, but he blew that one eight days to Sunday. I mean, that was just unbelievable that you, you wouldn't say, and that you can tell this is something they had not practiced or really even thought out. So it's just like, snap it, take a knee, snap it, take a knee, snap it, take a knee, kick the field goal, uh, or just score the damn touchdown and think your defense can hold for 30 seconds or whatever the case was going to be. You know, thankfully being on this podcast with you guys and knowing our listeners like we do, I know everyone else was also watching the Buffalo Marshall game on Christmas, which had somewhat of a similar end game to it as well. Buffalo kind of split the difference. I, they didn't have a ton of faith in their field goal kicker, from what I understand. I, I think he had kicked his first field goal of the season that day. So there was about two minutes left and what Lance Leipel basically decided to do was like knee out a down and then score. So that basically Marshall didn't get the ball back with no timeouts in two minutes. They got it back with like one minute. And it very nearly backfired on Buffalo. I think if they did have a competent field goal kicker, they would have just banged the knee three times and kicked the field goal and, and, and drained the clock. They did not do that. But you could you could just see that thing evaporating away as Marshall chunked down the field. There was a PI and everything like that. So, yes, welcome to our podcast, Degenerates, where you are not the only ones avoiding your families watching Buffalo and Marshall attempt to screw up an endgame on Christmas. That was a good game also, yeah. Well, was you know. Uh, it all all's well that ends well, which is basically Hugh Freeze's uh, uh, life motto. Because uh, <laughs> Liberty came back and won in overtime. Oh, damn, <laughs> Cure Bowl down in down in Orlando. I gotta say, Hugh Freeze trying to not score while in Central Florida was a plot twist. If he had always <laughs> adhered to this life philosophy, uh, he'd still be the old Miss coach. So, oh, boy. Oh, Hugh Freeze. So good to have him around. <laughs> it's been good. We've had some action. We've had some. Uh, uh, I think the other highlights so far, bowl bowl game so far, uh, and quickly, Sully six and two. We're all four and four, everybody else. Wow. So but notice Sully did not put his picks down on the air due to time. So, you know, mm. who knows what his picks really are? Yeah, I'm yeah. actually highly skeptical. Yeah, but that's all right. Hey, yeah. I texted him to you before all these games, yeah, before yeah, yeah. the UCF. 
BYU game. I texted them to you. So I, I saw those. I thought you picked Tennessee to win all the bowls. I'll have to go back and <laughs> yeah, look. Yeah. He's six and two. Uh, we would never accuse a University of Tennessee product of uh, bending the rules. Uh, that <laughs> duty honor country. Sure. But uh, the other one was the great uh, Idaho Potato Bowl, where they put a bunch of French fries in the uh, in the Gatorade bottle, the bucket, to, you know, promotional. And some of the uh, Nevada linemen and players were eating the French fries. <laughs> Instead eating- of dumping them on Jay Norvell, they put them in their belly. I, I loved it. Why not? I mean, if they're still warm. Yeah. You get a little hungry, four long quarters of sure. football. You're about to get away. Right. Yeah, Three and a half hours without any food. Come on. It's going to get wasted on the floor, right? We, don't, we have, I mean, really, we have the fight. Do we still have the fight hunger bowl? Because they got to be chapped at the, <laughs> at the potato people and the cheese it Cheetos pe- cheese, cheese it bowl throws them down too, don't they? I don't know. I, th- I don't know. They should. I think that turf is made of potato. We don't know that, but maybe. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Let's get to quickly coaching moves. Uh, we When we last spoke, Auburn was about to hire a coach, you know, total chaos. But as I said then, and we'll still have to see our performance, it's all about how you, who you get. Uh, they end up landing Brian Harson of uh, Boise State, who over the last seven years uh, is 69 and 19. Uh, this year he's five and two, so it's hard to do, but he's basically had uh, – Won 12, 9, 10, 11, 10, 12. Done a very good job at Boise. Thoughts on uh, on Auburn getting uh, Coach Harson out of uh, Idaho? Well, Dan, I think I want to just ask you. I mean, you watch Boise. You're basically like a Boise message board poster at this point. I am. Like, we'll be, they'll be like, Alabama will be playing LSU. They'll be all these games. They'll be like, well, I watch Boise late night on Saturday. And then some thoughts on their uh, third down percentage. Uh, I hope you're handling this okay. I mean, it must have been a tough Christmas losing uh, lose, losing your coach. I, uh, I, it's a fascinating hire, right? Brian Harson certainly won. He certainly won big. Probably his biggest foible at Boise was not being Chris Peterson, who just won like massively big. But he also did a lot of that winning in the WAC, the Mountain West, uh, God rest the WAC soul. But the Mountain West is a discernible step up from the WAC. And, you know, Brian Harson did really damn well. I think he won 78% of his games. So I think this is a tremendous hire on paper and reality there's some things i want to see brian harson's not recruited the southeast he has very little experience in the sec footprint he was a head coach at arkansas state for about 15 minutes does he have the ability to put together a staff that can exploit that footprint and bring players there part i may like best about this hire is that it's just completely and radically different and it's completely different than anything auburn has ever done like the most auburn thing ever to do would be to hire kevin Steele, right and try to like keep the whole southern sec myopic thing going instead they're bringing in a total outsider who's one big on the outside and i think a little bit like again i'm not comparing the two but it's almost like lsu hiring nick saban they said all right, we are going to do something completely and totally different. We're going to bring in a guy with an edge from the outside. Like Brian Harson isn't going to be there to make friends. Okay. His personality and Pat, I'm sure you've been around him too. He is a tough nosed, hard nosed guy who doesn't have a lot of back slap in him. And I think that'll be the interesting thing. How does Auburn adapt to a coach who doesn't want to go around and, and slap people on the back? I mean, look, the guy who was coached at Auburn two coaches ago is a U.S. Senator now. Like being a politician has has always been part of an armor coach. Brian Harson has zero politician in him. So it's going to be an interesting experiment from that realm. 
Yeah, you know, there, there's definitely going to be some fit questions for sure. And the other thing, look, is and Pete, you read off his resume, or Dan did. I mean, it's it's really, really good. Except I think at Boise, and given the rest of the way the Mountain West has been, I think he should win the, the Mountain West every year. They won the Mountain Division every year, but they they lost it one year to Fresno. They lost to San Jose. You know, he's he's done fine. He's just, he has not been Chris Peterson. Maybe that is holding him to too high a standard. But you have every advantage at, at Boise. You don't have every advantage at Auburn. you got a good job, but it's not Alabama. It's not LSU. It's not Georgia. It's not Florida. Probably not Texas A&M. You're probably at the sixth best job in the league, which isn't bad, but it's not, you're not dealing from a position of, of great advantage. I do, it is, it's great to see Auburn take a breath of fresh air. Uh, I do think that there was pushback against the usual booster, heavy-handed, we're in charge here and we're going to do what we want to do situation, uh, and we're going to hire Kevin Steele or Hugh Freeze or whatever. Uh, so the administration kind of won that one, and I there was a good story in AL.com kind of on this, although it was very clearly planted by the administration to make the administration look good for standing <laughs> up to the boosters. Uh, did you guys read the story? Yeah, uh, I did. Yeah, was, I did. Yeah. Yes, pretty yeah. transparent. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there we. This is uh, us uh, saying we're going to do things differently. Well, yeah, but you did let the boosters fire the guy who has been very successful and at a cost of twenty-one million dollars. So the boosters had plenty of say in what was transpiring. They just didn't get to hire their guy after firing their other guy. You know, total outlier. Let's give it a whirl. Let's see what happens and see uh, what what Auburn looks like in two or three years. So, yeah, I think he's an interesting hire. I always find these funny when coaches, when schools hire someone and it's like, if they hire, we, we need someone who knows what we're about. We got to get an alum who understands the Auburn family or whatever it is, right? Like North Carolina used to do this and, and it makes no sense at all. Don't cut your, your pool of candidates down. Okay. Like it just, just is not smart. Like get, we get the best coach. They'll, you, everyone thinks their school is so special. And I know you had great memories there, and and it, and they are a little bit, but that you know whatever. You're coaching the football team here, so now you bring. Oh, we got a breath of fresh air guy, right? It's like so they they'll, they'll come up with whatever it is. Harson was an offense coordinator at Texas for a couple seasons. He also was a head coach one year at Arkansas State, and he has recruited Texas a lot for Boise. A lot of their best players are they're basically everyone at Boise is from Texas, Phoenix, or or California. So. I did watch a lot of Boise last few years. There, he's good. He's a very good coach. But you know, I I do agree with Pat. It's a little bit like how 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 are you not winning more when they play teams that can stand up to them talent wise? Uh, he's not overwhelming them. BYU, a very good rivalry. BYU and Boise have in the in the that area of the country, uh, and that's usually a split. Again, Fresno gets going. They beat them. Uh, so I think that's maybe your only concern. You're going to win a lot of games at Boise because you're playing a lot of teams in the Intermountain West that just don't care about, they don't have any resources or anything in Boise. Has. So I, I don't know, wait and see. He's not Chris Peterson. Should he be Chris Peterson? Uh, considering what Chris Peterson built up? I don't know, but certainly a, a, an interesting hire uh, and it could work out really, really well for, for Auburn. So we'll see. I, I believe, let me just add this quick, Dan. And Pat was at the game. I was sitting next to him. I believe he was the offensive coordinator who called statue the famous Statue of Liberty play in the Boise-Oklahoma game. Is that right, Pat? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know for sure whether he called it or Pete called it, but yes, that that yes. was, you know, that they ended the game. Their last three scoring plays were hook and ladder, halfback option pass, 
and and Statue of Liberty. It's the most unbelievable play calling I've ever seen. And he if will for no other it. reason, like we, you got to give him a run at Auburn just because of that. Like that was <laughs> that still remains my favorite game I've ever covered. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, and, and 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 they kept doing those types of things. I mean, it's a oh, wide yeah. open offense. Yeah. It's oh, going to yeah. be a very yeah. different yeah. offense. He was a Boise State quarterback. Mm-hmm. He's from Boise. You know, maybe Auburn's got a shot with all the all the Boise kids now. If they want to recruit those guys. <laughs> um, they had Zach yeah. Wilson committed. The, he was committed to Boise, and then BYU flipped him late. Uh, mm. They, you know, they, they know how to identify and develop quarterbacks there. Like, and look, Bo Nix hasn't exactly lit the world on fire his his first two years, Ooh. so maybe his career can get a little bit of a uh, little bit of a reboot. All right, the other Power Five hire, I think, in the last week was Arizona taking Jed Fish, uh, who was the quarterback coach at New England. Did not go over particularly universally well. No, no hire really does by the Arizona coaches. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about Arizona football, but any thoughts on Jed Fish? Right, let me put it this way. Is there any reason to think in the next five years we're going to be talking a lot of Arizona football? No. Pete? Curious hire. It was very presidentially driven. I don't know if I've ever seen a hire this presidentially driven, and that president, Bobby Robbins, is you know the same guy who's kind of helped Arizona try to navigate through the, the Sean Miller NCAA situation, basically by holding his hands over his ears. So... And remember, they had wanted Kenny Niamatololo the last time the job was open. And Khalil Tate, the quarterback, who has completely disappeared from the football landscape, dinged the hire. And you, there, it's inarguable that Kenny Niamatololo would have done a better job than Kevin Sumlin because he would have recruited better and they'd been more disciplined and everything. So this is – and I know Jed Fish. He was the he was the OC at uh, UCLA the, the final season of Josh Rosen. Remember they came back in that Texas A&M game? You know, he's he's a guy who's been a lot of places. And the, the, the one thing I would question is he's never been anywhere really in the last decade longer than two years. So we don't really know who he is because he's been to so many places. Now, maybe that's an advantage. Like he was pretty good at Michigan when he was pass game coordinator there. Maybe all those collective experiences can allow him to get a staff to unlock Arizona. But certainly there's, uh, you know, the hire was greeted with with, with skepticism. And and I think a lot of that was driven from the presidential nature of driving this hire. Yeah, I mean, he has a said to have a close relationship with the university president. So that's kind of odd. Who knows? Total open book. Guy's been everywhere for one year. He's coming from the pro ranks. You know, you're not sitting there saying, well, it's a guy who can recruit L.A. He's got great ties there or something. I mean, you know, we were wondering about Brian Hartson and whether he can recruit the Southeast when he's only recruited parts of the Southeast. Uh, this guy hasn't recruited anyone in a few years. But who the heck knows? Anytime you're hiring someone who's never been a head coach before, it, it's anyone's guess. So Arizona made that call. All right, the one guy we have seen coach before whose name is out there but not currently for college football, is Urban Meyer. Uh, Three national titles, five undefeated seasons through his years. I think other than Saban, he's the most accomplished, probably best coach going. If he could handle the stress and didn't have, um, you know, medical ailments, uh, he'd probably be, it might be a much closer debate between him and Saban. He'd still be somewhere. However, his name is up for a couple of of NFL jobs. I think a lot of us think if he's going to come back, Texas or USC, I'm sure coaches there are pretty excited if he just goes and, hey, go coach Jacksonville. <laughs> Get out of here. Um, <laughs> yeah. Tom what, Herman what is calling. My life. Yeah. Sending letters of recommendation. Like he's, <laughs> yeah, the Herman Helton family Zoom celebration call. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. They're, they're tweeting at Adam Schefter, recommending the hire, <laughs> just trying to get this done. Uh, that's their source. Maybe that's, I don't know. <laughs> Obviously, I wrote a call about this. I, we don't know whether college coaches who go to the NFL usually don't work out. 
Most NFL coaches don't work out, though. So, you know, people get a little squirrely on that. Oh, he's got to have a winning. You know, Bill Belichick might win six games this year. Uh, it's 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 tough. OK, it's tough. So most NFL coaches don't work out. Very few succeed. Pete Carroll was a failed NFL coach. Uh, and then he became a good NFL coach twice. Well, actually, he was all right. But whatever. So there's always a question. Is this going to be Steve Spurrier? Is this going to be one of these guys that go and it just doesn't it doesn't work at all? You have that general thing with 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 Meyer. My thing is winning the games is one thing. Losing them is the problem. This guy, I've never seen anyone more tortured after not just a loss, but close victories. Like he struggles. We saw him basically sprawl out after that Michigan victory. We see him lose weight while they're pounding. He's got Tim Tebow and, all, you know, the pounces and her name. I got everybody down there. And they're killing guys and he can't eat or sleep. Like the NFL, you're going to lose games. You're going to have the Chicago Bears had a six game losing streak and they can play their way. You are going to lose games. Also, every single week is a one score game. Pretty much. It's never out of reach until at best five minutes less. You're playing the, the, the jets of a month ago. Yeah. You can't blow anybody out. Like how does he handle that meat grinder? So I don't know what's going to happen. Pete, your thoughts are, or let's start with you, Pat. We'll get to Pete. I know uh, he wrote about it too. Pat, Thoughts on whether Urban can would even be good for him or good for the NFL? Well, boy, you know, I mean, look, he's a smart guy. Intellectually, he had to have processed this, and he's had to have had friends and people around him and his wife and other people, his daughters, and say, Dad, you will lose games there, you know. I mean, that, the NFL, it's like Bill Belichick, not counting this year, Four losses, five losses, three losses, two losses, four, 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 three, two, six. That's the most successful coach maybe in NFL history, and he's losing that many games a year. Urban never loses that many games a year. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to have to get used to losing two to three times as many games as you are accustomed to losing. And as you said, every game's going to be close, and you don't get to go out and recruit the best recruiting class every year. You have to take what your draft slot tells you you can take. So, you know, it's just a lot harder uh, to do in the NFL. Now, you know, again, intellectually, I'm sure he has processed this and understands that. But then, you know, emotionally, what happens? And mentally, when you get into a season, you know, how do you handle that? And his style you know, I've, I've referred to Urban a couple times on this podcast as my favorite narcissist because he's so entertainingly self-absorbed, uh, you know, and everything revolves around, you know, him. And that's not the way it works in an NFL franchise, I don't believe. It's, you, you don't have everything just, you know, revolving around the presence of the coach. It's, you know, you're probably still the most important person in the building, but maybe not if you've got a franchise quarterback. So... Uh, we'll see how he handle, would handle that aspect of it. Would I like to see it happen? Yeah, just because I think it'd be really interesting. And he's a brilliant coach. I think he'll win. Uh, I just don't know whether he'll win enough to win a, a Super Bowl or go to a Super Bowl or to keep himself from being miserable. Yeah, I thought Dan uh, brought up a great point in his column on Yahoo on Sunday. Basically, Bill Belichick will lose more games this year than Urban Meyer lost in his seven seasons at Ohio State. And it's reconciling that type of losing, which if he ends up in Jacksonville, 
which I think is the most likely, you know, potential landing place. Um, and honestly, the most attractive one, right? I think they have 11 draft picks that, you know, you're, you'll have Trevor Lawrence, um, who I think we all think is going to be, a, you know, a, a generational type quarterback. There's an appeal there to, you know, to, to perhaps being able to put your own stamp on an organization, not not just the 16 games a year, but, but everything, uh, everything about it. I, I wrote a call about this Sunday night. And, you know, first of all, it's it's real. You know, that there is there is interest. Now, there's been NFL interest in Urban Meyer in other years, too. What's different this time, as I reported, is, you know, how serious he's taking it. He's reached out to former players at Ohio State and talked to them about, you know, the, the NFL. He's researched it. Now, some of this just may be just to, to see, because I don't think Urban Meyer wants to put himself in a position where he doesn't feel like he can he can handle it. So I think right now you have like an obsessive competitor. You can disagree with me, Pat. One of the one of the most intense competitors of this generation in college football, what you would say, right? So you have that guy sure. who, had, who who could see in his in his mid fifties one last challenge, versus the guy who knows he has health issues, and those health issues are very real, and they tend to manifest themselves when you know he is under stress, which he has not been. You know, working at working at Fox and and kind of consulting at Ohio State and doing what he's doing. So. I think it'll be a it'll be a really interesting uh, next couple of weeks for, uh, for 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 Urban Meyer. Um, there'll probably be seven NFL jobs open. Maybe something goofy happens and there's eight. There are not a ton of ready-made candidates at the NFL level. I do really think that we will see more college NFL crossover. We went four years without any college coaches going to the NFL. Kingsbury went two years ago. Rule went last year. I see that number trending up a lot because of the way the college game is changing. And I, I do think last point on, on Urban is that he is exponentially more likely to go and try the NFL than to re-enter into college because of all the changes in the dynamics of the way college football is going. Yeah, that makes sense also. The, 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 the transfer portal, these control-free coaches don't like, uh, and I don't say control-free necessarily in a bad way, but, you know, that's the, the transfer portal is an issue. Name, image, and likeness, the difference, the way recruiting is going to be. You're not going to be able to – I don't think you're going to be able to load up with these guys quite the same way. So it, it, there's a lot of things going on. And so guys skipping bowl games, a lot of that stuff is just foreign to Urban Myers thinking. You know, if he goes to Jacksonville, which is a great job, even with Trevor Lawrence, you're going to win about four games next year, five games. I mean, it's just – you're going to lose – you know, that's, a, that's 11 Sundays you're going to be sitting on a golf cart eating cold pizza. <laughs> um, you know, that's so I don't know. I'd love to see it because I think he is fascinating and I, I do love having him in college football. So part of me selfish there. But as a football fan, we've seen that he certainly if he went to Texas or USC, I would expect them to win again. But we've seen Urban Meyer uh, do that. So maybe he gives that thing a shot. And it's not like it hurts his legacy or no nah. one's sitting around. going, Well, you know, that Nick Saban didn't quite work out with the <laughs> Dolphins. Like, well, whatever, you know, like. The NFL is a whole different beast, though. You just can't recruit more guys. Uh, the one thing I do think taking him away from recruiting might be good, because I remember I remember Pete doing that, really, the first time Urban retired for a day. Mm. Pete did a great story in the New York Times where he talked to him, and one of his things was like, I'm texting recruits in church. I'm in the middle of a conversation with my daughter, not paying attention at all. Like, if you don't have to recruit 24 hours a day, that's... It's, you know, maybe that there's some work balance there. It's just 
football. It's football all the time. So, uh, Pete, yeah, it was a really interesting column Sunday night about, you know, if, if, if we are looking at a, a large movement of college guys to the NFL, and it could well happen, and the reason could well be the changes in college. But what does that say about the college setup that the coaches, it's like, I can't have total control over everybody anymore. I'm taking my ball and leaving. I, I just think that we are so accustomed to coach as emperor that it's scary to these guys to no longer be unfettered emperor and have, and I understand, look, it's not, I'm not saying it's, it's, it would be easy to deal with name, image, and likeness and guys having agents and setting up uh, endorsement deals and that sort of thing and transfers, you know, ding, 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 ding in and out. But wow. I just think it shows that if guys are really ready to leave these cush jobs they have because of that, that's we're we're pretty well that that says how the college game's been run forever. Yeah, and I and I think first off, a different type of coach will succeed. Yes, it's not like the sport will crumble. And this whole bit where you can't build camaraderie in a locker room, if guys are getting paid different amounts of money, or or you can't get everyone to buy in if if guys can leave after the season, or or people are coming in. They, look at the NFL. I mean, yeah. you sign guys for a week. <laughs> Half the guys in every roster are either trying to leave or think they're going to get cut. Like it were it's just <laughs> man, I mean, you go into you go to the NFL playoffs and you go in and it's like, you know, like I some of these famous teams people will get, you know, those Ravens teams. You tell me that wasn't a brotherhood. Oh, those yeah. guys, I mean, right. you know, you might need to know our peer leadership or something, but it's just it, it's okay. Okay, yeah, like right. th- believe me, man, those guys are playing and killing each other, killing for each other. It's just you aren't going to have the control. So the the best right. ones will adapt and figure it out. And I don't think it's going to be nearly the problem. The ones that that stuck in their way, they're going to get stuck in their way, and someone else going to come in and go, "That's all right." I'm I'm. They they learned this in college basketball. Remember when it was like, you know, if you even thought of coming out after three years. You would you would have to have a conversation with your coach, and then the coach would probably talk you oh, and yeah. get some scouts to lie to you. Like the NBA <laughs> yeah. had to set up that panel to like so they stop getting lied to, and and then eventually you got to the level of where it's like Coach K himself and Calipari and these guys are just like in the recruiting visit. We're gonna get you out of here in five months. <laughs> right, <laughs> you're Derek Rose. Okay, I'm not worried about your sophomore year development plan here, and they just. You know, you're Zion Williamson. Come here for a few months. We're good with it. You learn how to recruit that way. It's no longer like, you know, you're great. I don't know if I got the courage to walk into Coach K's office and tell him I'm <laughs> thinking about the Why would you think about the NBA? You're only a junior. You know, come on. <laughs> so they'll make it. They'll make it. All right. We got to talk about these games. Yeah. Uh, needless to say, we got the semifinals. Let's start with uh, with Clemson and Ohio State. The big storyline is that uh, Dabo Sweeney ranked Ohio State 11th in his coaches poll. I mean, this is good. It's like a fake poll and a and a fake vote. And a, and this is this. I love uh, this is this is what I love. Right? You want a scandal? <laughs> Scandalous. <laughs> Dabo uh, is arguing his point. Uh, there he says that he's not going to give anyone a top 10 ranking unless you play a full more than nine games. That was his thing. Uh, it is a nuanced argument. It is a, actually a, a fairly well thought out argument, especially for Dabo. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a winning argument. I agree. I think Ohio State's excellent, but I said all along, like, how do you get in when you only play half a season? I just think they're great. But what I love about this is, is Coach Sweeney, who, if this was against little old Clemson, 
would be overreacting and parsing the words and refusing to acknowledge context is now the the man of like, this is like the Lincoln-Douglas debate. <laughs> well, we have to consider the full argument here. I have this debate club, and I agree with Dabo, but of all the people to suddenly go with this. And somebody, I, I think it was Dan Wolken uh, from USA Today, unearthed a quote from Dabo from like September or October saying, you know, I'd be fine with the Big Ten teams getting and playing fewer games. I don't know how many games we're going to play. You know, this is all going to be really hard. But then at the end, ah, oh, no, 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 no. I, now that we played all our games, the people that didn't, mm-mm, they're the bad people. No, it was funny. I, I, I was on the call with him this morning and listened to five or six minute impassioned uh, response from him about it. This is great because... Boy, do they, you know, not necessarily the the staff or anything at, at Ohio State, but the fans have absolute rabbit ears for any kind of disrespect for the great Buckeye Nation. And boy, did Dabo deliver it. So this is like, oh, I mean, Bill Rabinowitz, who does a great job covering Ohio State for the Columbus Dispatch, asked the first question. The first question of absolutely was about Dabo putting him 11th, and then we were off and running with that. Uh, so it's, you know, this is great grist for the uh, for the talk show mill and for the podcasts uh, this week. But does it really matter? No. Yeah, Dabo has a great knack of, like, accentuating controversy instead of extinguishing it, and I think that should never change. I think he should always <laughs> continue to address – and Nick Saban is not talking about anything for five or six minutes. Like, maybe, like, the evolution of the inline tight end or something like that, right? No, Dabo's like, I'm going to take the hottest topic that everyone's going to be talking about, and I'm going to go on and on and on about it. <laughs> and that is just a wonderful trait. Please never change. I, I just think it's True. absolutely fantastic. In the uh, in, in the Jeff Halfley interview that's that's coming up in the back end of the pod, I, I asked him how he thought Ryan Day would use this information, and you know he said, "Look, I don't think he's going to make a big deal about it in the media, but you damn well know he's going to bring it up in the locker room a lot. <laughs> like Ohio State doesn't get to play the disrespect card <laughs> a ton. So let, let's just let's just say Coach Day is going to be playing that." Uh, over and over before kickoff. Nothing better than the disrespect card. All right, to the game. A couple years ago, Clemson blows them out. Funny, I think Trevor Lawrence said this is a rivalry game, and it has been. These two play a lot. I mean, more than sometimes you play your conference crossover games. Last year's game obviously was incredible, 29-23. You had the controversial, was it a catch? Was it an uh, incomplete pass that had a scoop and score? And you had the memorable Trevor Lawrence, I think it was 68-yard, something, 60-something yard uh, run where he just slaloms through the Ohio State uh, uh, secondary. The targeting. Targeting, yeah, there was a lot. A lot went into that. Thoughts on this game? Lawrence was not brilliant passing the ball last year, 18 to 33, 259 and two TDs, but he did rush for 106 in that big touchdown. Thoughts uh, on on this uh, in, you know, two minutes or less, because we don't want to go too long. So got the the other game, which I know the is going to be so close. We have to break down all the intricacies. Uh, I think it's I think it's a fascinating game. I think it's a great game and it's going to be a close game. I really feel like the two X factors in this game are going to be ETN catching the ball out of the backfield and Lawrence running, which really were the two differences in the game last time. I feel like with Baron Browning, who's one of the most athletic linebackers in the country, and you know the the use of Sean Wade maybe out of the slot, like Ohio State should be able to slow ETN out of the backfield. In terms of Lawrence as a runner, I mean, if you account for him as a runner, you're going to allow him to do things elsewhere. Ohio State has one distinct weakness, Dan, and it's safety play and it's over-the-top play. 
certainly Trevor Lawrence has the arm and skill set to exploit that weakness. I don't know if Clemson has the wide receiver set to exploit it, maybe in the same way that some others do, like Alabama might, et cetera. So I, I really feel like it, it's fascinating. But the, the one thing that Ohio State can do, and, and Dabo said this uh, on, on Monday morning, is like they're designed to stop the run. And they don't have Chase Young, and they don't maybe have some of those great big uglies that they've had before. But they have a very good, very high-end defensive line, maybe the best defensive line up, up through it in, in the playoff. Haskell Garrett's had a great year for him. I'm going to do one of those scout breakdowns this week. And I, I was on with a coach yesterday who just raved about how Haskell Garrett, uh, Ohio State interior defensive lineman who got shot in the face over over the summer, has really been maybe not like the stat, the stat monger, but he's really been a, like a physical disruptive force. So if Ohio State can stop the run up the middle, which is 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 really what Notre Dame was able to do in in, in beating them in the in the in the first matchup. Really stuffed the run there. I, I think they I think Ohio State has has a really good chance to win this game. I don't see it, frankly. I just I think this sets up a definite advantage. Clemson. The what Ohio State is going to have to have is Justin Fields to play great, like he did for the most part. The first time they met, not the first time last year in the champion in the semifinals. But the Justin Fields I see this year, you put him on, you put heat on him, and he doesn't react well because he holds the ball forever. And while he can scramble out of trouble a lot of times, and he's a great scrambler because he's so strong, you hit him and you slide off of him. Uh, but he will also get sacked and he will get hit a lot. And sometimes he will throw the ball up for grabs, which he did against, uh, he had, I think, two interceptions against Northwestern. He had two against Indiana. I, he's got to play better. He's got to play at the top of his game, I think, for Ohio State to have a chance. Ohio State's defense has been pretty meh, really. Uh, they have given up the most passing yards per game in the Big Ten. They are ninth, I believe, in yards per play allowed in the Big Ten. Yeah, ninth at 5.4. And you can go ahead and stop ETN in the running game, but uh, Clemson's been fine with that. Clemson's been, let's chuck it this year. They have thrown it a lot and thrown it very well. They maybe don't have, you know, a an elite receiver, but they've got a bunch of good receivers. And if you can't cover them downfield, Trevor Lawrence will throw it downfield and they're going to hurt you. So I think it sets up very well for Clemson. If you're going to bet this game, like this is the one thing I would tell our, our listeners, some of whom I know tend to uh, dabble in the betting, uh, would make sure you know if Chris Olave is playing or not. Because I really feel yeah. like he's a, he's a first-round pick receiver. Clemson has a good secondary. I don't think it's like, you know, just some, some sort of outstanding secondary. But I, I really feel like o Olave's presence, and again, he won't have practiced. Like, he's not going to be perfect. Uh, I was talking to a Big Ten coach about Ohio State this week and field struggles, and, and he said, look, like, guy doesn't play for three weeks, and then he comes back. Like, that's hard to do rhythm. There's some things like that. Now, again, they're off again for a long break. Olave, how Olave's availability to me is the biggest personnel storyline for this game. So just please be aware of that if you are going to not buy Apple stock like we recommend and uh, go on and dabble. Very briefly, I think um, uh, Ohio State's got to get a pass rush on Trevor Lawrence. I, I don't see that Chase Young type guy. Can they get that? If they can, they got a chance. If he can sit back there or pick his times to run, huge trouble. Uh, the other to me is what is Trey Sermon? Is Trey Sermon Eddie George, uh, or is he? Or is he? It was that a one day wonder? We just don't know. And he had 331 yards against against Man, Northwestern. Incredible, incredible, incredible day of running. But that was his first. I mean, he's behind Master Teague most of the season, so we don't know. Yeah. 
Uh, last year, J.K. Dobbins uh, hammered Clemson for 174 yards last year. So, you know, that that to me is a big one. Notre Dame showed the two ways you beat Clemson are win in the trenches. Can you do that? And can you get a second COVID bout for Trevor Lawrence? <laughs> that, that, those are the two keys to the game. All right. Speaking of Notre Dame. Hello, Alabama. Let's go Tide. The Irish are here. They wanted it. They get a second chance to show something. Alabama's a 20-point favorite in this game. Uh, Pat, quickly, your thoughts on on can, can Notre Dame win this game, and would it be a moral victory if it's just a one score? And how important is that for this program to not be sitting at 30, 38-3 at the half? Yeah, I don't think Notre Dame can win this game. Uh, I was listening to the Brian Kelly Zoom call Monday. And he was asked basically, you know, about the gap between Notre Dame and the, the, his favorite topics. I don't know why this narrative continues to pop up when we're here in the games. Because <laughs> you get killed in these games. That's why. <laughs> That's because the last game we saw, you lost 34 to 10, and it was 34 to 3 in a game that people thought was going to be a one-score game. And you got trampled. That's why. You know, you lost 30 to 3 to Clemson in the college football playoff semifinals. You know, they have lost the vast majority of these level of games badly. I don't see them matching up well at all. The only the Notre Dame's chance in this game, I think, guys, is ball control. Run the ball and keep Alabama offense off the field, shorten the game. And then when you when you're running the ball, you've got to finish drives. You got to get in the end zone, which is something they have at times struggled with. They've got to finish in the red zone. They've got to convert on third downs. Alabama's defense is not overpowering, but its offense is. And we saw Clemson hit Notre Dame with big play, big play, big play. Well, Alabama's better at that. So I just think that if they cannot, if they're going three and out, they're going to get boat raced here. They've got to be in the game early, and they've got to control the ball. The reasoning I think Notre Dame has no chance is when you look at, we, we've talked about this thematically on the pod throughout this season, when, when you look at the highest end teams in college football right now, you think of Joe Burrow and LSU last year, you think about Alabama this year, there are just definitive game-breaker field stretchers. You need the quarterback who can throw those balls, you need the receivers who can run under them. And Notre Dame, quite frankly, has neither. Like, they don't have a Kyle Trask. They do not have Kadarius Tony. They do not have Kyle Pitts. Now, they have very good tight ends. Don't get me wrong. But that's where their diamondism ends. They do not have any downfield threats. Kevin Austin, the, the kid from Florida, who was supposed to be that guy for Notre Dame, never really got going this year. He's out for the year with injuries. I just really feel like an inability to hurt, to blow off the top, as the coaches like to say, and to hurt Alabama vertically is, is going to end up stymieing Notre, Notre Dame in this. They, they would need to turn into essentially Army or what Coastal did to BYU and control the ball for, for, for 40 minutes. And I don't think Ian Book is going to be accurate enough and, and has the receivers to convert those third and sevens that are inevitably going to come up as you're playing ball control. Yeah, same. Williams Ty, and Tyree are nice Nice running backs. Ian Book makes things happen if he can get out of the pocket. Meyer's a good player at court. But there's got to be great third down efficiency. Six, seven-minute drives. He cannot get in a shootout with Alabama. They will win it. Uh, it's a tough game for, for Notre Dame, to say the least. All right, look, we know what we're talking about, of course. I mean, geniuses that we are. But uh, we're going to go with an expert here. Jeff Halfley, uh, first-year coach at Boston College, got the Eagles to 6-5, and five, did a tremendous job. He was the co-defensive coordinator last year at Ohio State, was involved in the Ohio State-Clemson game. Eagles lost to Notre Dame this year. 
Uh, and I'm sure he can tell you the, how good Alabama is without playing him. So uh, Pete's interview with Jeff Halfley, and we'll be back with our picks. Race for the case after. We will start with Ohio State Clemson semifinal part two. Jeff, if you don't mind, rewind back a little bit to what some of your defensive game plan was last year to slow down Clemson. What worked? What didn't? And a year later, how do you look back at that game plan? Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me on, Pete. I appreciate it. It's certainly a game that I've thought about a lot and certainly getting ready for them this year. I studied again, you know, just looking at the personnel that Ohio State had last year uh, versus the personnel Clemson had. I remember we felt very good about the matchups on the outside. You know, with two first-round bat draft picks at corner with Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett. And when you watch their film, no one really challenged the wideouts. No one got their hands on them. No one pressed them. And, and we believed that we could. You know, they were throwing for a ton of yards. I think they were averaging well over 500 yards per game on offense. And Trevor was throwing the ball all over the field. But we wanted to challenge him by challenging the wide receivers. So we played a lot of bump coverages. We had Sean Wade in the slot. So really three guys where we were really aggressive. And I think looking back, I think their receivers combined maybe had under 50 yards of, of total receptions with their wide receivers. Um, and I think if you watch the national championship game, LSU kind of attacked them the same way. And I remember watching it and, and kind of smiling, thinking, you know, they, they probably had the same type of athlete and, and went and bumped those wideouts as well. Um, so I think you, you'll probably see Ohio State probably try to do the same thing this year. Uh, stopping the run, ETN, I just remember him. I remember the first time watching him um, kind of laughing because I didn't know much about him. And I was like, why is this guy not talked about by everybody in college football? This guy's going to be a prolific back in the National Football League, and he is. And we loaded up the box, and I think we did a really good job stopping the run. Stopped his run game. We stopped the perimeter guys on the outside. The one thing that caught us off guard a little bit, which it shouldn't have, but it did, I remember I remember going back and watching every game and charting all the design quarterback runs that Trevor had, and there weren't many. So the focus was to stop the guys on the outside, stop ETN from running the ball, and certainly on third down, containing Trevor when he scrambled. Suddenly they came out, and their game plan was definitely to design quarterback runs against us last year when I was at Ohio State, and they definitely had some success doing that. They hit a few quarterback draws on us, and then ETN catching the football. And that's something that, again, I found out the hard way this year. Uh, He is prolific out of the backfield. Uh, they can line him up as a wide receiver. He's just as good catching the ball on screens as he is catching deep balls down the field. So didn't do a good enough job stopping him doing that. So fast forwarding to this season, you know, certainly with different personnel and a different quarterback we played against. We didn't play against Trevor when we were preparing to play for them. So a lot of the same things on film, but with different personnel, we kind of attacked them in a different way. You know, I didn't anticipate Ohio State trying to get their hands on those guys and, and bumping those wide receivers. But you got to account for Trevor running the ball. Because even when you watched when you watched the game last week, which I did, notice when it's crunch time and they have to win, uh, Trevor's going to run the ball. He is dynamic. And I mean that from every sense. He's got a live, twitched-up body. He's big. He can sit in the pocket and throw. He can scramble. He keeps his eyes downfield. Or he can run for the first down. The scary part is uh, he can run the ball. And they can run quarterback powers. They can run anything you can do with the quarterback running the ball. So you're going to have to take that into account this year because in a playoff game and a national championship type game, he, they're going to give him the ball and not be worried if he gets banged around. Because what we also learned last year, I remember Sean Wade hit him on that one where they called targeting where one of the controversial calls in the game, he got back up and that D line, because you got to remember Chase Young was also part of that team. So, you know, we felt like we could get after him rushing the passer, but you got to cage him. You got to keep him inside. You can't let him escape you because he's really dangerous. So I think you'll see them take into account, or at least I would. I mean, they'll, they'll do whatever that they decide to do, and they got good coaches. But 
you got to take into account him running the football. You have to. Um, and then you have to defend ETN as a threat out of the backfield. Uh, same thing happened this year at Boston College. They motioned him out and kind of mismatched, and they threw a double move to him and, and hit one of their big plays against us. The screen game to him, you know, we paid a lot of attention at the Boston College, and we felt like we shut that down this year. Last year at Ohio State, the screen game hurt us a lot. He hit us on two big screens, one on third down in the red zone. So just reflecting back and thinking through a lot of weapons, he can throw it, he can run it, and then he's got a guy to hand it to, and he also has a back to throw it to, which not many linebackers can cover him. So you're, you're bringing up a lot of memories of both both games, and I don't know how happy I am about any of them. <laughs> well, you obviously spent almost a decade in the uh, NFL, Jeff, and w- one of the quotes I remember from Media Day last year about the quarterback matchup in that semifinal that stood out to me was you said that people are going to be watching the future of the NFL it, with Justin Fields going up against Trevor Lawrence. And I want to hone in on both those guys a, a little bit here because I think that's you know that that's what the, the common fan who's going to be drawn in by this game is going to look at. The NFL fans certainly in New York and Jacksonville are going to be are going to be looking at that what what do each of those guys bring now Trevor I think people like to say this about Andrew like they call him sneaky athletic I just actually think he's really athletic give us a sense of you know you, you watch Justin every day in practice you've seen Trevor give us a sense of those guys in their in their future Jeff yeah well Trevor certainly there's no more sneaky athlete I think he's even quicker uh, his body seems liver this year because remember we studied him all the way up until Thursday or Friday night when we found out he wasn't going to play he just seems more confident back there. You know, he's starting now more games. He just, he's moving around better. He looks like he's got a little bit more juice to him. And at the same time, he can sit in the pocket and make the throws. I mean, he is the future of the NFL because he's tall, he's big, he's tough. He can make every throw and he can play the position. What do I mean by that? He's not just an RPO, run around, scrap. No, he can drop back, go through progressions and make the plays. And I say that from watching him on film a ton. Uh, so a ton of respect for Trevor and Whoever gets him is going to be a very lucky head coach and should be able to keep his job for about 15 years. Um, <laughs> you know, Justin going against Justin in practice last year, the thing that always stood out to me was he's another guy that, you know, obviously Ryan, I think is a phenomenal coach, offensive coordinator, certainly a quarterback coach. Justin will also sit in the pocket and he'll keep his eyes down the field. And just last year, and I haven't been able to watch them as much this year because we didn't play him. But just watching Justin all last year, it's like he kept his eyes down the field. He stood in the pocket. He waited for guys to get open. And then at the same time, Justin's fast and he's big and he's strong. And, you know, if you rush up the field too far and you see something, he's going to get 20, 30 yards pretty quickly. So you got two dynamic players. Uh, I think, you know, Justin hasn't played as many games this year. And in, in all Justin's fairness, just people need to understand is he hasn't played with the same wideouts. He hasn't played with the same old line. I don't even know if he's played with the same center or running back every single game to get comfortable. It takes time in that position. It takes the unity of a whole offense working together in practice and then doing it in a game. But I'd imagine Justin has a big day. You know, we hit some explosive passes on them this year at Boston College in the first half. I think we scored 28 points. Obviously, Coach Venables is one of the best defense coordinators in college football. But with the dynamic receivers at Ohio State, combined with that big old line and Justin behind there, I'd be disappointed if there weren't a lot of points scored on, on both sides and I'm a defensive guy, so it's hard for me to say that. Well, I think Ryan Day would be disappointed uh, if that didn't happen, too. And, and you know, Ryan, you worked with him in San Francisco with the 49ers and obviously spent the last year with him there. He has like a nice, quiet intensity to him. He's certainly not a stand-on-the-table guy. But now, there, there's, a, there's a side of him that maybe people don't see that can really fire his team up and really motivate. It's obviously a news nugget this weekend that uh, Dabo Sweeney ranked the Buckeyes 
number 11, which some could second guess, and I'm sure you won't. That would not be smart to do before you played them. So I'm just going to ask you through this prism. Knowing Ryan Day and knowing how he motivates, how do you think that nugget will be used in the Ohio State locker room, Jeff, to motivate the Buckeyes? Yeah, well, one, you bring up a good point. I mean, to me, one of the things that makes Ryan such an unbelievable head coach is he's kind of he's a normal guy that he's never gotten into, you know, saying, hey, you know, I'm the head coach at Ohio State. He's going to change who he is. So a ton of respect and credit for him. And it's something I hope that people would say about me. But Ryan is one of the most competitive people you'll ever be around. And that doesn't mean he has to be this rah-rah guy in front of the media or when people are looking. He does it when people aren't looking, which I respect even more. So Ryan will have the guys fired up, whether he uses it or not. I mean, you can imagine he'll use it. I'd use it, but I wouldn't make it. I wouldn't let the media know. No, I wouldn't bring it to the media's attention or say, yeah, I said this to the guys and that to the guys. But I also think there's enough motivation, truthfully, for Ryan and Ohio State just being part of that game last year. That was a hard loss. And were there some controversial calls? Yeah, sure there were. Is that an excuse? No, we lost. And I, I certainly didn't do a good enough job in that game or else maybe we would have we won the game. But I think there's going to be enough motivation for those players for everything they've been through this year, through losing that game last year, certain guys coming back to try to do it again. I don't think there'll be much needed, honestly. I think you're going to see a, a very well-motivated team, but you'll have to ask him if he's going to use it or not. <laughs> Bring us inside the mind of a defensive coordinator, uh, Jeff, for a second here. And this will be my last question about Clemson. None of us, uh, none of the people listening have ever called the game. Right. So it's easy to say, oh, they need to shut down ATN in the pass game or they need to stop Trevor Lawrence in the QB run game. But to do that, you have to compromise your defense in other areas. And in those two areas, you just identified them as, as keys from playing Clemson two years in a row. Just how does that how how do you have to change what you do as a coordinator in order to focus on those two areas? Well, I think when you, when you look at a team like this with as much firepower as they have, again, a quarterback who can throw the ball, athletic receivers, a back who can run, and then a back who can catch it out of the backfield, you got to be able to mix it up. you got to be able to play some man, keep the ball in front of you. You can't live against this team in man coverage. There's there's mismatches, right? Who's going to cover ETN? Are you going to get extra Are you going to get extra DBs on the field, but then they could run the football? I, I think you got to take calculated risks on when to pressure this team. You got to mix in man. You got to mix in zone. You got to try to confuse Trevor a little bit pre snap and post snap so he's not just seeing a clear picture every single time and knowing where he's going to go with the football. And you got to be aggressive at times on the outside. You're going to have to get up and bump and get your hands on him. And there's going to be some times when you're going to want to bail and play softer so you don't just get the ball thrown over your head the whole game. But again, calculated risks when to take your shots. What are their tendencies this year? When can you really be aggressive and send a bunch of people? And when do you want to drop eight, quit muddy up that picture for Trevor? At the same time, I do believe it's going to come down to the fundamentals and technique, the tackling. Can you tackle ETN in the open field? Can you tackle Trevor in the open field? Uh, can you take great angles against them because they're really fast? And I'd imagine Ohio State will, will give them a great game, so I'm excited to watch it. All right, let's uh, let's transition. You obviously played Notre Dame at, at home this season about a month ago. Obviously, Jeff, being an ACC, you, you wouldn't have had a chance to study Alabama on any crossover this year. So I'm, I'm going to come into this assuming you don't know them well. Notre Dame, to me, when I, I, I was at your game this year in, in Boston when, when you played them, the most impressive part of them to me was on the hoof, that offensive line and what they were that what they were able to do. Is it fair to call that a strength? And then how do they know and utilize that strength? Yeah, that you're you're right on. If you were at that game live, which most people couldn't because we couldn't have fans there, it was one of the loudest, most violent hitting games that I saw all year. 
their offensive line combined with their tight ends, and there's three of them. And I think that's where they're different. Uh, their line is really physical, very aggressive. Uh, they finish blocks. They're really well coached. I think one of the best uh, coached up units in the ACC. Um, but then you combine that with the tight ends because they can line up with two tight ends on the field and make it look like a real big personnel grouping. But then those tight ends are athletic enough to split out and make it look like a one back 11 personnel picture. Um, I mean, 24, which is, is one of the most aggressive players, whether he's playing tight end, lining up in the backfield, catching the ball. It looks like he has fun blocking people. And then the other guy's just so athletic where he can move around and it's almost like he's a wide out. And then you get 88, who's this giant wide out where it, it's not like they're going to overwhelm you, overwhelm you with their speed. It's the size, the physicality. And then you get the running back who kind of like a younger ETN, right? I mean, he, 23 is dynamic. The way he runs the ball, he's got so much juice to him. So in that game, we, we want to stop the run. That, that's the most important thing when playing them because they're all on their backs and their tight end. Um, and what you've seen from Ian Book, which which you really I didn't really really see until they beat Clemson in that first game, is how fast and athletic he was. And when you get him live and you see him live on the field, you see it. He's very quick quick footed. He's got great short area movement, better than people think in, until you see him live. I'm just telling you that from experience. Can you keep him in the pocket? We could not keep him in the pocket. Can you keep him in the pocket and make him play quarterback from the pocket? Um, not many people have been able to do it. It looked like Clemson was able to do that more last week because his strengths are moving around in the pocket, getting on the perimeter, making big plays with his feet, and then finding those big tight ends and those big receivers down the field. Uh, but I give Ian a lot of credit. That that guy's a really good football player. And, you know, I think that after you see him live, every coaching staff would say the same thing. A uh, ton of respect for him and what they do. Uh, last question, Jeff. They're obviously uh, more than two touchdown underdogs. You don't know Alabama well, but you've been in enough football games as favorites and underdogs. Do you think if there is a recipe for them to win, it it revolves around riding that offensive line, running the ball, controlling the clock, Ian playing mistake-free football and converting the third and threes with his legs? Like, is that if they are going to keep this game close and going to author an upset, do, do you feel like it has to? They, they have to kind of ride that line that way. Yeah. And again, th this is, this is for me, not studying Alabama. Now knowing coach Saban and, and, and looks just like they're so explosive on offense. It, it's Notre Dame's really good on defense too. You know, they got good ends or backers really good. I think one of their safeties is going to be a big time player 14, just from watching them play and watching their game this year. To me, it's gotta be about possession. It's who can control the football, who can take away the football. Um, you've got to limit Alabama to possessions. This can't be a, you go back and you look at that 15 possessions in the game or they're just going to score too many points. So you said it. Can they convert on third down and keep the chains moving? Worst case scenario, they punt, you know, and make Alabama drive the whole length of the field. You can't give them short fields. You can't give them the ball. You can't, uh, you can't give them explosive plays. You know, they got to play great defense, keep the ball in front of them, attack the football. And, um, and they got to score points in the red zone. And that's, I mean, even looking back to the Clemson game last year when we played Clemson and these playoff games and these big games, you can't kick field goals in the red zone. When you get in there, you got to score touchdowns. It's the same thing when you watch the Notre Dame game last week, right? They got into the red zone really early in the game and they settled for field goals. You have to score touchdowns in the red zone to win these games. And I'm talking about all these teams playing in all these big games. Field goals just aren't going to do it. It's going to be fun. I'm well, I wish I was still coaching in them. I'm, I'm going to look forward to watching them. And uh, it's pretty cool. You know, we played two of the four teams in a matter of three weeks. So I guess we already went through the playoffs. So <laughs> our, our, play, our, our playoff run is done.
Well, you're building BC to the point where they can compete for the ACC title, Jeff, in, in, in doing that. Signing day was last week. You had the best class to, to hit the heights in a decade. Obviously, Phil Dracovic turned has turned out to be a boon for you, a quarterback, and we're going to see him for the next three, four years at the height. Zay Flowers, one of the most dynamic receivers in the country. Just w- w- when you see where you are post-year one and where this program can go as you try to build into a conference title contender, where do you think you are? I'm excited. I, I think the foundation is built with the culture. I think through COVID and the, the success we had, you know, really with, with building this as a team, not getting anybody sick, sticking together. I think guys love football again. Their confidence is really high. They believe they can win. I know there were some games out there that, you know, just like going down to Death Valley and, and being up, you know, 15 points or whatever it was in the first half. You know, we didn't win and it still hurts, but, but they believe now. And, and that's such a big thing in football. So I think the culture is built. I think the belief and the confidence, I think there's a lot of juice and energy around the city. You know, I think work still needs to be done. We still need to get better. We need to coach better and play better. Uh, but, but I think we're on pace to, to do what I said when I got hired. I think there'll be magical moments. I think we can be a top 25 team and eventually go on some runs and, and, uh, and have some fun years. So I'm really excited to be here. Well, Jeff, we're excited to have you today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for all the insight on Notre Dame, on Clemson and BC and beyond. I appreciate it, Pete. Thank you. Good stuff there. Well, you know, Coach Halfley's got opinions, but we have better ones, so let's pick this game, right? (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl this year we played in Arlington, Texas, because of course it will. Even though it's the first day of 2021, uh, it's just a calendar. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, At at the start of the uh, second half, you can watch the sunset over the Walmart parking lot in Arlington, Texas. (laughs) A romantic vision. Beautiful, beautiful stadium, though. Pete, let's start with you. Who you got? Tide versus Irish. Well, I mean, I, I look forward to going to the Whataburger after uh, after the Rose Bowl instead of going to In-N-Out. You know, uh, times, oh. times change. I don't feel like this game requires a ton more analysis from us. I, I think Alabama is going to win. I think Alabama is going to win handily. I think they'll cover. There could be some backdoor situation here. I just don't feel like Notre Dame defensively at corner has answers for how Alabama can stretch the field. And uh, they have two elite players on, uh, on on defense in Kyle Hamilton and Jeremiah Owusu-Kamora. But I just don't feel like they're going to be able to cover them down the field. I, I feel like this thing is going to end uh, 42-14. Pat? Sorry, Notre Dame. Sorry, Brian Kelly. The narrative will continue that you get blown out in big games because I think this is going to be an Alabama blowout. Not going to be able to contain the receiving core. Not going to be able to deal with Najee Harris. Uh, and not going to be able to score enough points and make enough big plays to counter the Alabama machine. Not going to switch that up. Until Notre Dame shows me they can keep it close. I'm, you know, 20 is a lot, obviously. But yeah. to me, this is, uh, I take Bama uh, to cover. Uh, and unless there's some long drives, as I said earlier, I don't see how Notre Dame really keeps this close. It, it's, it's, there's just too much talent at these top schools. Notre Dame gets one five-star a year at best. Alabama's picking up four, five, six. I mean, he's a first, he's a first round draft. Just too much talent. It's just some point in a game, you've got a six foot five receiver and a five eleven cornerback. <laughs> it's gonna happen. You know, there's only so much you can do. So four difference between four, four speed and four five is a lot. All right, let's get to the other one. We're hoping this is the or both are good. Be awesome if Notre Dame could pull the upset. It'd be absolutely amazing, like excitement. Clemson and Ohio State had a great little series. Pat, let's start with you. 
uh, your thoughts on this one. I'm going to pick Clemson. Uh, I hope it's a good game. Boy, the last one when these two played last year was fantastic. I hope we get one on that level. I, I just I kind of think Clemson has a pretty distinct advantage here. I think that there's uh, three elite units or two very elite units, both offenses. And I think Clemson's defense is better than Ohio State's defense. I think Brent Venables finds a lot of ways to fluster Justin Fields. And uh, I think Clemson wins this thing and covers the number. I'm going to disagree with Pat. It'd be boring if we all thought the same thing. Uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to take Ohio State to to win the game straight up. I feel like the identity of their offensive line will establish itself as it did in the second half. And I do think that you'll see some different play calling from Ryan Day in this game. I, I think. He, there's such an ethos in that program of aggression, aggression, aggression. And I do think seeing the success they could have against a very good Northwestern defense of locking in and running the ball and Clemson isn't what it was up front. They have some really talented young defensive linemen, but they are young. So I think Ohio State wins a lower scoring close game. They'll figure out a way to shut down Travis Etienne and slow Trevor Lawrence just enough. All right. So cover the seven point spread. Clemson's given seven and win the game. All right, yeah, same win the game. I, I'm not going to hedge it. I'm going I'm to go. Might as well be all in. I am going to stick with Clemson. I, this is just really hard game. It, it just, I just have no idea what Ohio State is. Yeah, just uh, played so few games. They had so much time off. There, there's times that Fields looks unbelievable. Then we got this. We got Sermon comes up. I, I don't. I don't. I just don't know what to think of them. So, if I had to bet this game, I would not bet this game. But since this <laughs> is what we do. Uh, we're picking a game. Uh, I just think there's too many unknowns that I would not jump on on this game because Ohio State might be awesome, but we haven't seen that. Man, I just we have not seen an awesome Buckeye team. They could be though, and Clemson has been good. And the one you know they've had two games that everybody watched, and Trevor Lawrence wasn't in one of them. And this guy is really really good. So if I got to go with, I know a little bit more. And, and who's the best player on the field? Uh, I'm taking Clemson to cover. I think Lawrence has a huge game, and uh, that's where we're at. So that's how I'm going to pick it. Uh, we will see. All right, we will be back, of course, after the semifinals for full reaction. Uh, should be a great New Year's Day. And uh, and I, I've said this a number of times this year on the pod, but those, those days in April and May when you're talking to athletic directors and they are panicked about, I don't know if this is going to happen, I don't know what we're going to do. How does this work? January 1st, we get a double header of Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State. I mean, that is just phenomenal. That is That was the dream come true back during the heavy quarantine. It has been a, a bumpy, crazy, uh, not perfect ride to get here, but we got here. I'm going to enjoy uh, these semifinals. Hopefully, we get some good games and do it. If not, we'll be back for the championship. So, We'll be overreacting. Uh, subscribe. Share us on social media. Keep interacting with us on social media. We enjoy all the banter. Talk to you then.